Welcome. What a week are we on? Welcome to the Texas Hemp Reporter. Uh, this is podcast number 25. Number 25. We are a quarter of a way to 100. I'm your host this week, Jesse Williams, with co-host Coleman Hempel of the Texas Hemp Industries Association. Yep, we're uh, we're filling in the gap this week as uh, as Russell had a little little dentist work done this week, and so he will be back with us next week. But um, as as really every week and every show, there's just always more and more stuff happening in in the hemp and cannabis world. Um, this last week, we gave you all, or, or rather last week, we gave you an update on where. Texas HB 3948 from Tracy King was, and last Thursday, um, the bill was voted out of committee unanimously and um, is now moved on to calendars committee. So, you know, for those listening, um, you know, the, the process in the House is bills get introduced, they get their committee hearing, they get voted out of committee, and then they go on to calendars. And it's that calendars committee that really decides when different bills are heard which is critically important. You know, we're getting really pretty close to the the end of the session right now, and it's important that that we're contacting our, our representatives in the House, our state House representatives, to, to begin pushing this bill along. And, you know, if you're looking to, to call one in particular office, um, Representative Dustin Burroughs is the chair of that committee. Um, Paige, his, that, his clerk, is that there. Is, that is highly recommended if you are a constituent of his. Yeah, I, absolutely. So Dustin Burroughs is out of the Lubbock area. Um, so I hope we have some some folks in the Lubbock area listening today. Um, but yeah, no, constituent voices go a long way. But at the same time, you know, wherever you are in the state, contact your representative, have them get in touch with Dustin Burroughs' office, support 3948. It really is looking positive. Um, you know, from what was initially introduced in the bill, there was a lot of, of different sections that were somewhat controversial related to, to consumable hemp products and and proof and or uh, truth and labeling and you know different specifics that they're removed and you know generally less is more and and uh, you know that's kind of my general feeling most of the time is is uh, you don't want to be always writing more laws you know for for every new law um, comes more complications and. You know, I think we've got a really clean bill right now. Um, you know, there will still be some issues to, to be uh, taken up in the Senate, but um, first step's getting it out of the House. I say bills should be written the way they teach in a mass communication school that you would talk to people. You're talking to a big group of people, but you have to talk precisely to one individual. It has to connect with them. So you want to write bills with language that's broad enough that it covers your entire state, but it takes care of the specific problem you're trying to address. And that's part of why we've been contacting these representatives to talk about this bill has been, hey, some of this seems like a knee-jerk reaction. It's very broad. It isn't going to really take care of the problem. But here are ways we can take care of the problem. And Coleman and I both had talked about things like testing, third-party testing. Yeah. You know, I I work um, with with Ionization Labs based here in in Austin, Texas. And uh, we've also developed uh, what's called CanID. It's an in-house testing solution where different extractors, cultivators, finished product formulators are able to, to turn around their own testing much quickly, you know, really quickly in, in-house in about 30 minutes. And, and rather than sending products off to, to different labs, running different methodology, not really knowing what, what's in your product or, or what you're going to get back from the lab, 
with this process, it's really more of, of a validation. You, you know what you have internally that's then sent off for validation to that, to that third party. And it just really helps different operators operate under best practices. You know, these are, these are processes that are requirements for the pharmaceutical industry, for the supplements industry, to, to really mitigate risk. And because the, the hemp industry really hasn't gotten on par with the same, same best practices, we've suffered in a lot of ways. You know, you know one of the, <clears throat> the biggest issues this existed in, in the, the hemp industry and, and marijuana is the time that it takes to get testing back. You know, so many stories I've heard from people that, you know, it took them two, three weeks to get tests back. And during that time frame, their customer found another customer or other circumstances where you you get your test back and your customer sent off for a test and you have as much as a 30% variance. And the reason that a lot of these variances exist is because different states have actually written it into the rule that you can have as much as a 30% variance. And in Oregon, really kind of at the behest of, of a lot of the testing companies that don't want to stop the machines, to recalibrate them, to make sure they're accurate because it costs them money, um, put those provisions in place to where you can have as much as a 30% variance. And so 30% doesn't work for for operations in-house. It certainly doesn't work in in the market and particularly with hemp that has this very strict point three delta nine designation you know being off means the difference between in texas currently and hopefully and and jesse can kind of speak to these things you know if you're above point three and it's in in these different concentrates edibles you're holding on to a felony in the state of texas you absolutely need to make sure that your products are are compliant and and hopefully hopefully um there will be some some reform um, and and uh, penalty reductions um, brought to the state and and there's actually been quite a bit of movement on that that I think Jesse's been been following real closely. I wanted to follow up about talking about calibrating machines. Like I did nuclear engineering, nuclear power plant operations, and we calibrate monthly. At minimum, we're calibrating monthly, and if something seems off, we're doing a calibration on the spot and. For very old and complicated equipment, I was on the Enterprise, calibrations don't take very long. They really don't. And it seems like an issue is these people are going, well, I can't be, I can't shut down for too long to do a calibration. And it's like, no, this shouldn't take you more than an hour to calibrate a machine. And if it's taking longer, something's grossly wrong with your machine and how you're calibrating it. For sure. And, you know, when people have their own equipment in-house, they want to see the most consistently accurate results that they can all the time. And so they, you know, the, the people using the in-house actually calibrate their machines a lot more regularly so that they know for certain that their product that they're sending out, the final product with X amount of dosage in it is accurate. Um, you know, businesses can't afford to lose their biggest customer. You can't afford to have a recall. You can't afford to, to lose your license. And so it's, it's something that um, has to be really at the, the forefront of, of your operations because it's, again, your compliance and then the value of that product. You know, how, how can you increase your yields? How can you get more, uh, just run your extraction equipment in the optimum way um, to get the, the, the greatest return? This is why I was advocating something we had discussed outside of the committee hearing that day was we talked about doing audits of these 
companies that actually do the laboratory testing. And the reason why is I had went live on Texas Cannabis Collective about a week ago, week or so ago, and somebody literally brought up in the comments, they said, if you are a legitimate tester, you are having a tough time in this state because anybody who has a product that's somewhat hot, somewhat hot is either going to ask you to flub the numbers or they're going to go hunt for somebody else who will flub the numbers, which means that you have a bunch of people who have a product that's hot, and instead of doing the proper thing of possibly doing an extraction and bringing it down to the proper level because they just want to push their flower, they go and hunt for somebody that's not going to do the right thing, and it puts the rest of the legitimate people in a bad spot financially, and then it causes the legislature to look at the whole program and go, well, this seems to be a failure. We've got to do all these other reactions. Like I said, knee-jerk reactions, and it very much turns into this system where the outlaws are still kind of benefiting because they're going to be outlaws no matter what. And the people who are willing to put a safe product on the shelf and a proper product get punished for it. So the best way I see of doing this and dealing with this issue is we have audits of these labs where we not just look at the numbers, but we look at the calibrations. There's another part of the lab test you were telling me about. Can you elaborate on that? These, uh, this chromatography is like a, like a chart. I believe you were telling me. Yeah. So, so the the classic testing that's been utilized for for cannabis by you know for the longest time by state drug labs you know people that were looking to see if there's any THC in any of these different products um, for the longest time was gas chromatography so gas chromatography is where you take a substance you heat it up and the gas that's that's created from that substance is is analyzed now <clears throat> the big problem with that in hemp and why hemp has really moved towards high performance liquid chromatography or hplc is that gas chromatography heats up that product and and does what's called decarboxylates it 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 takes an acid um off of that that main molecule so what that means for for hemp is if you have say hemp flower that is 10% CBD and is, you know, 0.2% Delta 9 THC and 0.4% THCA. So THCA is actually the predominant molecule in, in marijuana plants, um, as well as the, the higher proportion of THC and CBD, although at much lower levels. Um, when you heat up THCA or decarboxylate it, it drops that A and it converts into Delta nine. So in essence, gas chromatography causes you to convert what would otherwise be a legal product under the 0.3 Delta nine definition and turn it into an illegal product. So again, that's why we've shifted to HPLC that keeps those, those acids and the activated forms separate to where you can get a good, accurate representation of what's in that plant. With HPLCs, you are, are generating what's called a chromatograph. And for ISO purposes, the, the certification agency, um, you're required to have a five-point calibration curve. So you can think of, you know, if you had a two-point curve, that curve was always going to be a straight line between those two points. With a five-point curve, you're able to really accurately define and identify different cannabinoids on that chart and where those different peaks are, are created. Um, 
it's it's very you know fascinating science that this is testing this these use for for ginkgo this is you know same equipment that they actually test for fentanyl ketamine you know a number of of different illicit drugs and and controlled substances um and and different supplements and so it's um it's exciting to see the hemp industry start to to move into the same space as more established um, supplements and, and pharmaceuticals and and really bring in the traceability and the testing to to be at the same common playing field well that's awesome to hear it's your host jesse williams the texas hemp reporter with co-host coleman hemphill we're going to take a short commercial break and we'll be right back after that i'm becoming less defined as days go CRI is a top 25 nationally ranked CPA firm with offices across the Southeast and with clients across the globe. Over the last few years, our firm has developed a niche in the agriculture and cannabis industry. We understand the unique challenges growers and processors face every day, including addressing challenges resulting from the USDA and DEA final interim rules, banking and insurance concerns for cannabis businesses, unique farming challenges associated with hemp and high THC cannabis, and GMP clean room management and general management for business in the rapidly changing cannabis market. Our seasoned team of professionals can help you meet these challenges with sound business, tax, financial, accounting, and technology advice. Visit CRICPA.com to find out more or schedule your free introductory consultation. That's CRICPA.com. The third annual Southern Hip Expo is now open for exhibitor and sponsor registration. This year's event will take place at the Convention Center in Raleigh, North Carolina on September 2nd through the 4th, where we will have three days of conferences, seminars, and workshops, 250 plus exhibitors, and numerous networking and entertainment opportunities. For more information, check out southernhempexpo.com. Since 1938, TPS Lab has been guiding growers of many different crops around the world to making maximum yields and quality and solving difficult field problems with advanced innovative solutions. Hemp Plan offers the most advanced guidance to industrial hemp growers. The purpose of Hemp Plan is for you to realize the highest quality and yields with minimal THC for your crop's genetics by minimizing plant biotic and abiotic stresses. TPS Lab offers many services and options to the industrial hemp grower. Contact Joe at TPS Labs at 956-383-0739. That's 956-383-0739. That's TPS Lab. You're listening to The Texas Hemp Show, produced by your friends at The Texas Hemp Reporter. 60,000 copies published free every year. The Texas Hemp Reporter is mailed to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. Now, back to the show with your host, Russell Dowd. Welcome back to the Texas Hemp Reporter. 
I don't know who that Russell Dowden guy is. Do you? Do you know who Russell Dowden is? You, you know, I haven't seen him here at all today. I don't know. I don't know where that guy is. Is that the guy with the teeth we were talking about? You know, that guy has got an incredible new grill. He's he's gonna be uh, beaming from 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 uh, from ear to ear, as they say. I imagine when he comes back, he mentioned having like a lisp. I just picture him coming back, and he's like, "Hey, I'm like I'm like Mike Tyson. Like, how hey, you guys like, doing? Like, hey, hey, guys, you want a cigarette?" <laughs> I spent the whole weekend. I was watching some movies. Uh, Detective Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> and yeah. then, I, then I went down and got bought some gas at the Sunoco station. Hey, hey but you know what the good thing about this is? Is I'm sure we'll start stepping up our game from the video standpoint. You know, I, I know we've talked in the past, and I think we're getting really, really close to the point where I would love to to have some some live call-ins. Um, a little ask me anything here at the the Texas Hemp Reporter, and, and we're also um, you know still still looking for some sponsors for a radio spot with KLBJ, one of the largest AM FM radio stations in the country. Um, and with that too, you know the the call ins, the interaction is always great. We we don't have anyone on the show this week because um, Russell had his his dentist appointment this week. Uh, we had two. Two of our uh, guest speakers speak last week, but um, I believe next week we have Shada Tarabi will be talking. Um, and then also, you know, some other things just kind of in the news. Um, it's called the the Lux or the the Lucky Summit. Um, this is um, Willie Nelson's event that he puts on every year, generally at his ranch outside of town. This year it is a digital event. Um, and so I will be speaking on a on a panel that will be moderated by Shada Tarabi from Restart CBD. I'll be joined by Ross Bennett from Texas Taylor Farms and Sage Howell. Um, really, really exciting. That talk is actually be mostly centered around hemp's use as animal feed from multitude of, of different different types of livestock. Um, and also, we'll be really looking at the industrial applications with industrial raw materials that I know Sage Howell has been very involved in. So really excited to, to see some of these other topics really kind of open up and, and a lot of real enthusiasm being built around all of the different things that hemp can do. Feed. That's one thing I kept hearing through the end of 2019 and 2020 was having this available for animals to eat. And it could be a great replacement for the feed we give livestock now, but it's not approved as such because as we, our FDA and USDA claims is we don't know what the effects will be for these animals eating this feed. And um, I spoke to a Skylar Johnstone. He does a cannabis. It's honey infused with CBD. And he talked about I, he wants to grow he wants to grow hemp, turn it into feed, and have pigs eat this like it be their like constant food so that way when he gets ready to cook them he's got like almost like a C- what he believes would be a cbd infused ham yeah you know and there is some work right now specifically on that uh, being done by texas a&m which is super exciting they're doing their, their swine studies testing out this this pig food and um getting some really good results but i mean you're totally right that's one of the biggest things that that I know that we've been advocating for, but one of the biggest things that in milestones that the hemp industry needs to hit is to allow this for, for livestock feed. So it hemp seed that you can buy at Costco is generally recognized as safer grass by the FDA. 
hemp seeds for human consumption have been on the market in the U.S. since about the late 90s, 1998. So I'm, I'm praying that it doesn't take 20 years to, to get that same designation because at the point that we're able to feed feed hemp to livestock, both both grain as well as the flour, which you know up until a few weeks ago I didn't realize has a really great um, fat profile. It has a really good you know high mineralization and fiber content in in the raw flours can also be fed out. And um, you know it, again I really encourage you to to look at the deluxe summit that's coming up, I believe the 26th through the 28th. Um, and, and Ross Bennett, who's going to be on that panel actually went into the Texas archives and found some remarkable information from like the 1860s all the way up into the 18 or excuse me, 1920s, where initially when Texas was formed, just like the United States government, I believe 10% of your land was required to be grown out in hemp and they fed it out to livestock and they had different information around its use in the state, which super, super encouraging to know that it's been done, which means we can do it again. Um, but again, Ross Bennett, Texas Taylor Farms, definitely a great resource and, and very, very passionate about bringing this alternative feed stuff that's so, so needed um, within the the animal feed industry. Well, that's great to know. I say I've I've always been amazed by the concept that we've ha- we've obviously had this in our country. We fed it to our livestock before, but but we have people acting like this is something new, and it's some new frontier of feeding animals when it's it's very much obviously not. We're gonna, um, we're gonna move forward with talking about House Bill ninety nine, which was Stephen Toth's bill. His bill has finally been passed out of committee with seven eyes and one nay, and it is also going off to calendars. Stephen Totes, House Bill 99, is going to do a penalty reduction for two ounces or less of marijuana flour. There's no concentrates involved in his bill. Anything above two ounces will be a Class A misdemeanor. Anything below will be a Class C. And he has a a diversion, a diversion plan as it's called. It's actually just deferred adjudication. So pretty much a person goes in front of a judge. Judge says, oh, this was the charge. You spend a year on deferred adjudication, which is basically probation before a verdict is entered. And once you're done with whatever program they wanted you to do, which is always some sort of community supervision, they then pretty much it's a dismissal of your charge. So XYZ leads to dismissal and you no longer have a criminal record of this. So, so basically, the program that's in place in Austin and Houston and Dallas, like our larger metropolitan areas, all well, have kind of a version of this already to a large degree. Well, what we're seeing in places such as Austin, or better yet, a, a great example because they've actually put it into ordinance, and I helped go and advocate for this in San Marcos, was San Marcos is the first city to actually put it in their ordinance that it must be a site and release offense. And that's what we're hearing a lot of these places say they want to do Austin specifically. We have a new DA who's going, I don't want to see marijuana arrest. Don't bring it in front of me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take it on. I'm not going to go with it. Basically he's chiming. He's got better, not better, but bigger priorities to take care of than catching people with low level amounts of marijuana. San Marcos specifically says, hand them a ticket, give them a court date, bring them in. Unless there's some circumstances such as, well, I want to see a judge. Well, then you have to take them in front of a judge, so you have to arrest them. They have to live in the county. 
there's a bunch of specifics the state actually laid out over a decade ago about doing site and release for these typical class B misdemeanor offenses. But as something one of the committee members mentioned, we have towns that are saying that they're doing this, but they're inconsistent with it. Highly inconsistent. So you have one person who'll go in front of a judge and they go, oh, deferred adjudication, go do a rehab program or do some community service, and we'll dismiss this. You have another person who comes in, same offense, and they go, nope, we want to give you 30 days in jail or maybe like a two or $300 fine, and you're left with this record. So it's an uneven-handed item, depending on where you're at. I am this representative talked about Houston. Apparently, it was very uneven-handed on how it was working. But we're seeing more and more towns do what you're talking about. So, yes, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Houston, Fort Worth. They're slowly moving to where, like, the DAs are going, I really don't want to deal with this. Yeah, but, I mean, this would, instead of it being an option and kind of this piecemeal programs that do exist in these different cities, it would really kind of harmonize this at the state level. And it's it's definitely a great step forward. It sets a state standard. And I testified on another bill, and another individual brought this up. It was um, House Bill 3772 from Representative James White, uh, Mr. LeBlanc came out from around the Houston area and talked about if you live out in the Bay Area, the part of the Bay is covered under one county and part of the city with the Bay is covered under another county. So depending on where you're at in the city, if you don't realize where you're at, you may be spending some time in jail. You may be just letting being let off with a slap on the wrist, a a street diversion program where it's like, hey, I don't want to see you ever again. They, They stomp on your joint and let you go about your business. And it's very uneven. And we need to have a set standard across the state. I do agree with that. That has to take place because it's, it's insane that even with like hemp, if you're caught in Austin with a product that you bought with, that was possibly hot because of these falsified labs we talked about, you're going to possibly be fine. Say you have a cartridge. The DA doesn't care about your one gram cartridge. But you leave and you head out to Bastrop. It's a completely different story when you get out there. You're going to have a sheriff who goes, nope, you need to spend some time in the slammer for this. I, I, I got I to gotta find you and take you in. And people don't realize this. And they've got just stuff sitting in the front seat like it's nothing, like they live in Austin. Yeah, and, and you better hope. I, I can't remember which bill it was, but I remember you were telling me earlier in the year that there was a circumstance, I believe either because of COVID or because of the freeze, where there was a jail in North Texas that flooded. And so they removed everyone from from the jail and, you know, just let everyone loose because there was a, a, a leak. And one of those people was being held for murder and went back out and murdered somebody else. And so now the state because of that, was proposing basically indefinite detention. I, I say this, and again, I'm paraphrasing this. I was not in the room. I think Jesse... you know, was, I, heard, it, I heard bits and pieces of this. It was supposed to be what they air quote called bail reform. And basically when I started asking, what, what's taking place? Like, oh, it's like something with a jail. They want to have to release a bunch of people because they weren't going to be able to process them or keep them there. Something either with the courthouse or the jail. I'm pretty sure someone will hear this and they'll write a comment somewhere that I was highly inaccurate about this. And they'll, they'll straighten the story out. But it wound up releasing a bunch of prisoners. And it turned out one of them was in prison, waiting, I guess, waiting to go to court for murder. And this person got out and supposedly they killed a police officer. 
So they're going, hey, we, we want to change bail and bond on how we hold people. That way, pretty much no matter what, these people can't go. But it becomes, when you think about it, it's a slippery slope with all these things always work. It, well, and, and just, I mean, a tangent there, just to kind of highlight, there's some important stuff going on in, in that building all the time. And it's it's really you know important that, and particularly for people in the Austin area, I think that's one of the greatest gifts we have is being so close to the building and you know, your, your three minutes in testimony, um, or comments or phone calls. I think they said for every phone call that goes into that building, you represent 3000 people in the state that never engage the process, never make a phone call, never make an email or don't vote at all in that process. And, and there's very real things that impact you and your business going on there. Um, you know, hopefully we don't get, uh, <laughs> get, get put away forever. But like you're saying, you know, with with all of the backup in the criminal justice system in Texas because of COVID, um, you know, there have been these different circumstances where, you know, people have been held, you know, for for weeks or months. You know, people people lost well, them. They, well, they've well, gone the off moral, the radar. Well, the big moral about this inconsistency is what happens when you're in Austin and you, you jaywalk? And jaywalking something simple, and the cop just yell, just yells at you and waves a baton at you. Goes, hey, you don't do that no more. But then you go out to somewhere rural Texas, where you're from. You go around like the Brady area, and you jaywalk, and they go, we're going to hold you in jail for as long as we feel like, and you've got no bond because the state said we can. And it's like, you're going to hold me indefinitely for jaywalking? Yeah, yeah. You know, you could have been hit by a car. Serious money would have been spent on just clean up the mess it would have made. Yeah, it's you know it, we've got to get past the the county by county biases towards this, and I think Toast Bill was is definitely moving in the right direction, and and James White has been been supportive um, as well. I know um, also Stephanie Click's bill was voted out of committee unanimously. You know, as you're making these phone calls again to that calendars committee to Dustin Burroughs' office, um, you know, and, and we'll we'll include the different bills that were mentioned in this in in the caption of of this transmission for you to to be able to reference but you know um while you're making your phone call just go ahead and tag all of these different bills in there because they're all sitting in calendars and you'll notice that that's kind of a consistent theme you know towards the the late part of the session you get this real glut of different bills and based upon when they get scheduled or if they get scheduled or don't we just ran out of time. You know, we we tried real hard. We got a committee hearing, and we just ran out of time. And I'm sorry, there's nothing else we can do. And um, also, towards the end of the session, there's there's something that starts happening. It's called chubbing. You know, these very long speeches kind of, you know, timing out the clock towards the end of the session. So, again, super important time right now. Contact the Texas House Calendars Committee, Dustin Burroughs' office. And then I believe we're going to take a quick break. Yes, we're going to take a quick commercial break. I am your host, Jesse Williams, and co-host Coleman Hemphill. We're going to take this commercial break. When we come back, we'll talk about James White's bill and the Safe Banking Act and its position in the House. We'll be right back. CRI is a top 25 nationally ranked CPA firm with offices across the Southeast and with clients across the globe. 
Over the last few years, our firm has developed a niche in the agriculture and cannabis industry. We understand the unique challenges growers and processors face every day, including addressing challenges resulting from the USDA and DEA final interim rules, banking and insurance concerns for cannabis businesses, unique farming challenges associated with hemp and high THC cannabis, and GMP clean room management and general management for business in the rapidly changing cannabis market. Our seasoned team of professionals can help you meet these challenges with sound business, tax, financial, accounting, and technology advice. Visit CRICPA.com to find out more or schedule your free introductory consultation. That's CRICPA.com. The third annual Southern Hip Expo is now open for exhibitor and sponsor registration. This year's event will take place at the Convention Center in Raleigh, North Carolina on September 2nd through the 4th, where we will have three days of conferences, seminars, and workshops, 250 plus exhibitors, and numerous networking and entertainment opportunities. For more information, check out southernhempexpo.com. Since 1938, TPS Lab has been guiding growers of many different crops around the world to making maximum yields and quality and solving difficult field problems with advanced innovative solutions. Hemp Plan offers the most advanced guidance to industrial hemp growers. The purpose of Hemp Plan is for you to realize the highest quality and yields with minimal THC for your crop's genetics by minimizing plant biotic and abiotic stresses. TPS Lab offers many services and options to the industrial hemp grower. Contact Joe at TPS Labs at 956-383-0739. That's 956-383-0739. That's TPS Lab. You're listening to the Texas Hemp Show, produced by your friends at the Texas Hemp Reporter. 60,000 copies published free every year. The Texas Hemp Reporter is mailed to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. Now, Back to the show with your host, Russell Dowden. The Texas Hemp Reporter, your co-host Jesse Williams, joined here by Coleman Hemphill of the Texas Hemp Industries Association. Fun commercial break, wasn't it? Yeah, so um, so we are here. This is podcast number 25 on April 21st, one day after the, the high holy day of 420. And, um, you know, in, in perfect timing and fashion... Um, you know, really some of the largest national news coming out um, in the last 24 hours is the Safe Banking Act that passed overwhelmingly in a bipartisan fashion, passed with 321 votes to 101 votes, and is now moving on to the Senate. So this is this is actually the fourth time that that this bill has passed out of the House. And and in the past, this is a bill that consistently died in, in the Republican-controlled Senate. 
Um, I know that there's a lot of optimism now that the Senate is controlled by the Democrats. You know, there's been a lot of talk from Chuck Schumer in relation to to legalizing marijuana as a whole. You know, and this is just a step kind of moving in that direction that, you know, regardless of where the Biden administration stands on on cannabis, um, that that you would start seeing some real reform happening in New York. I think part of that could be facilitated by the fact that, you know, his state um, and his constituent base there in New York actually just passed, um, I believe, recreational yeah, marijuana. They, I mean, they, adult, they, they, they went— Adult legal use has been passed in New York. Yeah, they went pretty wide open. Um, I know they're, they're super bullish. I know that their hemp program, they've actually become quite a bit more— um, uh, protective, um, you know, some kind of, you know, New York state cultivation and, and, um, cannabis production that they want it grown in the state. They want it sold there in the state and, and they're really looking to, to make a big move in that direction. So the safe banking act, um, has, has both, um, implications for the marijuana industry and, and being able to, to bank, um, with different institutions legally, which, you know, it, it's still crazy to think, but that has not been allowed. In states like Colorado, California, there are still people operating strictly on a cash basis, which is an absolute nightmare for banks. You know, different people that have their own ATMs um, and, you know, that the cash comes to them and it goes back into their ATM and then people pull it out of the ATM and it comes back. I mean, there's, there's some reporting issues, which are just headaches that, I know a lot of the businesses don't want to have to go through. I know it's been a struggle without this this law being put in place for, for banks to be able to move forward in that. And then there's also different hemp provisions, you know, for years. I mean, I've experienced this myself. Um, you'll have people that are with Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and, it, and they could be banking with those companies for years and then arbitrarily... Um, you know, one day you get a notice that, that we're not going to bank with you anymore. Come pick up a check for, for how much money you have. And, and now you have all of your, all of your assets, all of your cash, um, there in that one check. And now you're going to have to go and find another bank who will bank on that. Now, you know, fortunately, um, really through the hard work from groups like Veraleaf and Risk Scout, um, Justin Fisher, who's a, you know, one of a, our consistent, contributors in in the magazine um they've been doing some amazing work educating different bank board of directors walking them through bank examiner audits providing the specific documentation that's necessary to bank hemp businesses and cannabis businesses and and also really in a large fashion being kind of the dunn and bradstreet the the qualifier for these different businesses are able to do background checks specific to the industry and, and provide a score essentially for those banks that that are interested in either banking or lending to different people in the hemp industry. So that's that's definitely going to be a company to watch. Um, again, this is just passed out of the House. We are optimistic they'll be taken up in the Senate and, and based upon, you know, Senate Majority Leader Schumer's, you know, talks and leanings there um we are hopeful to to see that move forward soon yeah i was a bit surprised when we went up to noco and i was asking people how the dispensaries were operating now given that it's like they had to come up with something that pe- debit cards are just so prevalent people didn't want to touch cash during covid and they're like oh we basically treat our our aid we, we, we bought a, a card service and mm-hmm. 
instead of using it to pay for your cannabis that you would buy at the dispensary, they basically act as an ATM and they charge in 20, 10 to $20 increments and give you the leftover change for whatever is left over from whatever you purchased. And I was like, that's, that's insane that that's the way you would go about doing that. But it also means you can't use a credit. Like if you do a credit card, you're taking a, ca- a really, really ridiculous cash advance out at a high interest rate. Yeah, and you know, I know this also impacted a lot of different companies' ability to to receive SBA loans. Um, you know, those fundamental tools in business. Your, you know, where you put your money. Um, you know, the security of of your investment in your business is is top of the list of, of importance. And, you know, hopefully this will be really the, the last big crack before the dam really blows open um, as, as the Senate begins to take up other cannabis-related bills. And, you know, I, I've said it in the past, um, you know, my, my focus and with the Texas Hemp Industries Association is focused on, you know, food, fiber, forage, building materials around the hemp industry. And, and that being said, every progress that happens for cannabis as a whole loosens the 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 focal point and, and focus on on the hemp industry. Um, it, it will just allow us to continue to thrive and and hopefully get to a point where we're regulating this crop similar to other crops. Now, when I say similar to other crops, do, tomatoes do, do, do not yeah well and do not mistake me. <laughs> tomatoes. tomatoes have regulations. You know it, it's. We, we just want to be on the same pace as as corn and tomatoes and potatoes and these different crops that require soil testing that were you know require pesticide testing you know all of the different assurances to make sure that these products are, are safe for people um, we want to maintain the absolute highest integrity and and right now you know many operators are going above and beyond a lot of them aren't though either you know there's still this this uh, maturity that's that's happening and you know, f- for you know, for the different operators and people in the hemp industry listening to this, again, these are different operations. Going back to the testing, that are prerequisites. Um, these are prerequisites from from the retailers and the distributors in order to to be eligible to those larger markets. These are the different steps you're going to have to go to, and you know, hopefully, as we get more clarity from the FDA, the USDA. Um, these different laws related to banking, we're going to start seeing some of the very heavily invested companies like Budweiser and Coors and Coca-Cola. They've invested billions of dollars in the canvas space um, and are you know slowly waiting for that point when that opens up. When that happens, any glut and, and any reduced price on, on the raw commodity that we've seen around hemp goes away. You know that will be again. You know this this correction and, and this opportunity for um, there to be really good opportunities again for farmers. Um, you won't see the depressed pricing. You'll see a price increase again until we hit that point again of production where you're looking at you know marginal gains on on your cost of production and, and competing with the highest value land producers um, in different regions of the country around those different consumable cannabinoid products. And circling back around to this this banking act, something I didn't realize until I'd went to out to Puerto Rico in 2019 is that we talked for the longest time about how we needed banking because we needed to be able to secure the funds. When I say secure the funds, I don't mean in the way of like, oh, we got to make sure we we've got our we can get loans or that we can get insurance. It's that 
we can actually protect the money that's coming in. There were all these stories coming out that there's kind of almost fear-mongering to an extent now about how dispensaries were being robbed and that they've got all this cash on hand and that's why they're being robbed. But I found out going out to PR that when they put their medical program in place, the dispensaries weren't being robbed because they didn't have banking. The dispensaries were being robbed because the people were going, we can come and rob you, take your flour, leave your money. We don't care to take your money. Resell your product on the street for cheaper than what you sell it. And the dispensaries can't, they can't, they can't really hire security because then they have to raise the price. And that's when I have a, I have a father-in-law who's a, a captain, a precinct captain for the equivalent of the state police there. And he mentioned to me, he goes, the way you solve this problem is you treat it like anything else in the grocery store, whether it be alcohol or tomatoes or corn, whatever else is on the shelf, you have a proper regulation for it and you treat it as such. And you make it an open product for everybody to buy. And he's like, you set the age, 21, like you do alcohol, because it's an intoxicating substance. He's like, that's how you really solve this problem. That's what makes this go away. It was when everybody can compete. And this banking act is really going to solve, as you mentioned, it's bookkeeping. It's making sure you've met the regulatory tax issues. And that way people aren't scared of going to the IRS and saying, hey, I made all this money selling weed this year. And that's what this really solves. It's not a, oh, there's a guy at the door with a shotgun who wants to take all the cash out of the safe. That's, that's, it sounds almost like an 1890s gangster story. <laughs> well, unfortunately, and, you know, I, I'm encouraged that, you know, in Texas anyway, because we've passed hemp first and because it has been a largely free market bill, you see CBD stores all over the place. You see CBD sold in, in gas stations and convenience stores. I, I hope that at the point that Texas does make the decision, now that we're surrounded by all cannabis-producing states, to, to actually move forward with this, that we take a more free market approach, that we're not looking at the 30%, I think it's like a 35% tax that is imposed in California, which was that due that just drives people right back into the to the black market. It, it puts people on edge in a lot of different ways, really increases the the severity and urgency around different deals that, you know, we're not accustomed to to Texas and, and that's certainly not the the path that we want to go down. We we want to make this safe for people. Um, we want to make it accessible for people and and you know this this safe banking act is is definitely a great step forward. So now that this has passed the house, again, you know, all of the advocacy that we've mentioned earlier on at the state level, um, this is now an opportunity to call John Cornyn to call Ted Cruz, our two senators, and focus that attention on those two people to, to really support getting this bill passed. Um, if, if you know, in your phone calls to those offices, they seem averse to it, you know, you can remind them that this also very much impacts hemp that is legal in the state of Texas. Then different times past, you know, Ted Cruz is, has voiced um, support for um, and so, you know, find that common ground where you can, but also use that as an opportunity to, to educate them on your story and how this is beneficial for the state of Texas. I'll say that Ted Cruz has very much said he's open to states' rights with these types of issues. So if he's for states' rights, you present it to him as a states' rights issue that we do have dispensaries in Texas, three of them, that should have the right to do safe banking. That way they... Everybody can collect their tax cut as apparently as the state would want. I imagine they want that. 
So present as a state's rights issue to somebody like Ted Cruz. And you can tell him, you know, the hemp industry represented $418 million in 2020 through COVID. And that's anticipated to go to over $3 billion by 2025. Hemp is here. Hemp is here to stay. We need to do everything we can to support our farmers, retailers, and consumers. We've got one last commercial break here at the Texas Hemp Reporter. I'm your co-host, Jesse Williams, and here with Coleman Hemphill of the Texas Hemp Industries Association. We'll come back, do a quick run over of House Bill 3772 from James White, and we will be calling it a day for you guys. So stay tuned. Last commercial break. We'll be right back. CRI is a top 25 nationally ranked CPA firm with offices across the Southeast and with clients across the globe. Over the last few years, our firm has developed a niche in the agriculture and cannabis industry. We understand the unique challenges growers and processors face every day, including addressing challenges resulting from the USDA and DEA final interim rules, banking and insurance concerns for cannabis businesses, unique farming challenges associated with hemp and high THC cannabis, and GMP clean room management and general management for business in the rapidly changing cannabis market. Our seasoned team of professionals can help you meet these challenges with sound business, tax, financial, accounting, and technology advice. Visit CRICPA.com to find out more or schedule your free introductory consultation. That's CRICPA.com. The third annual Southern Hip Expo is now open for exhibitor and sponsor registration. This year's event will take place at the Convention Center in Raleigh, North Carolina on September 2nd through the 4th, where we will have three days of conferences, seminars, and workshops, 250 plus exhibitors, and numerous networking and entertainment opportunities. For more information, check out southernhempexpo.com. Since 1938, TPS Lab has been guiding growers of many different crops around the world to making maximum yields and quality and solving difficult field problems with advanced innovative solutions. Hemp Plan offers the most advanced guidance to industrial hemp growers. The purpose of Hemp Plan is for you to realize the highest quality and yields with minimal THC for your crop's genetics by minimizing plant biotic and abiotic stresses. TPS Lab offers many services and options to the industrial hemp grower. Contact Joe at TPS Labs at 956-383-0739. That's 956-383-0739. That's TPS Lab. You're listening to the Texas Hemp Show, produced by your friends at the Texas Hemp Reporter. 60,000 copies published free every year. The Texas Hemp Reporter is mailed to over 2,000 licensed hemp producers in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Texas. News, technology, trends, finance, culture, health, all things hemp in the Lone Star State. The Texas Hemp Reporter Magazine. Now, Back to the show with your host, Russell Dowden. Welcome back to the Texas Hemp Reporter. I'm your 
co-host Jesse Williams of the Texas Cannabis Collective, and with me is Coleman Hempel of the Texas Hemp Industries Association. We've got one last thing to talk about. House Bill 3772, from Representative James White. What do you know about James White, Coleman? Uh, you know, I James has, or, or Representative White, rather, um, Super, super nice guy. Uh, he's from East Texas. Um, I know that he's been very involved in the, the criminal jurisprudence um, and, and really been advocating a lot of different good policy related to, to juveniles over the years. Um, you know, I know in regard to hemp, he's always been very warm to this. Um, he has all the representatives vo- voted in favor of this um, last session when we passed it unanimously. And um has just always been able to, to direct us in the in the right direction, but um, you know I know he has a specific bill um, that that addresses again some of these penalty reduction um, proposals that are going on in the state. Yeah, um, thirty seven seventy two is his house bill, and it will reduce marijuana penalties for marijuana possession, both involving remuneration and not remuneration is when you're you're pretty much you're caught dealing. I guess is this the street term for it. You've been paid for remuneration means you've been paid. And it would take a quarter ounce down to a class B and 70 milligrams of concentrates to a class A, where previously both of these were felonies. Uh, class C misdemeanor for the amount of marijuana flour is less than one ounce. And this is just, your, say you pulled over, you're caught with it in hand. It's less than one ounce or the concentrate possessed is 280 milligrams or less. It's a class C. If it's two ounces or less, but more than one ounce, it's a class B with the concentrates of 560 milligrams or less, but more than 280 milligrams. And again, like class B, class A misdemeanor if the amount of marijuana flour possessed is four ounces or less, but more than two ounces, or the amount of cannabis concentrate possessed is 1.1 grams or less, but more than 560 milligrams. So if you've got like a half gram cartridge on you, you're looking at a class B misdemeanor now instead of a felony, which will automatically be a felony for even having just a speck of concentrate on you, which was insane. Yeah, I mean that's that's where the state of Texas is right now currently. I mean it's it's severe, and you know we traditionally, I mean before the the hemp bill passed, we're arresting anywhere from sixty to seventy thousand people a year in the state. Um, after the hemp bill was passed, I think a lot of different you know larger cities, you know bigger municipalities, kind of leaned on this now ambiguity, and you know kind of leaned on an excuse, because it is an excuse, because there are ways to test for the differences between THC and CBD. So, well, we can't tell the difference, um, so we're not going to prosecute. It really shows that a lot of the district attorneys have a lot of cannabis fatigue and and have recognized that there are bigger issues to to deal with. When we passed the hemp law, the number of convictions in the state of Texas reduced by about 60%, a considerable amount um, you know, representing you know thirty to forty thousand people a year, they aren't going to jail, and so, you know, that's certainly for for me something that I will will, will take to heaven with me. Um, I, I feel really glad to to set people free from from something that is a is a God given plant um, that's that's beneficial for many people. It's not physically harmful. No one's ever died from these products by any means, but. Um, you know, and, and with hemp, again, you know, there's so many uses. There's so many uses. So much of the discussion gets focused on CBD. So much of the focus gets focused on THC. Um, but, I mean, just as a whole, this plant is, is really made for us. Um, and, and, you know, I look forward to a time when we get to experience cleaner air, 
that we're building our homes from this, that we are are clothing our children, um, and really growing our community around hemp. Well, we're going to wrap this up here. We always recommend that if you want to make a change in the cannabis sphere, the hemp sphere, the marijuana sphere, whatever sphere it is for cannabis for you, go Google who's my representative, who's my senator, state of Texas. And there's actually a website. You can go in, you punch your name, your address, your zip code, and it'll tell you exactly who your senator is and who your representative is. And from there, you can find their phone numbers. You can call them and say, hey, I want to see these bills pass. I want to see them get pushed over to the Senate. I want to see the Senate vote on these things. That way, everybody knows that the vote is there, and they can actually be heard on the floor and in these committees, and we can move forward with these bills and change the laws in this state so we can have this future that Coleman's talking about. Because as it sits right now, without these bills moving forward, we don't move forward with it. So who do we have next week? It's So next week, we're going to have Shada Tarabi from Restart CBD, one of the, the greatest marketers in, in the, the Texas hemp space, definitely been an influencer. Um, she will also be the the moderator for the Lux Summit. Again, be looking for those events starting the 26th through the 28th. I will be on one of those panels with Sage Howell and Ross Bennett from Texas Taylor Farms. And, um, yeah, I look forward to, to hearing from, from Shada next week. Um, she has a really interesting take and is doing some really great stuff here in Austin. New magazine comes out in May. For more information, TexasHempReporter.com. Hope everybody has a great day. Peace and love to all of y'all. Hey, hit that share button. Share us on Facebook, Instagram. Love to get out to the people. Thank y'all so much. Forever